Hey, everybody, we're going on tour in 2017, so listen up. That's right. You can get all the deets at SYSKlive.com, current cities who love us, Toronto, Vancouver, Atlanta. Chicago, Minneapolis. No, they don't love us so much in Chicago. Oh, yeah, they're coming around, though. And Austin doesn't love us, so we need Chicago and Austin to come out and see us so you can explain why there's no love. Yeah, and everybody else, go to SYSKlive.com and buy your tickets now, because they're going fast. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryant and Jerry Jerome Rowland. Put the three of us together, get us to talking. You got stuff you should know. And you have afternoon tea. <laughs> I am having some tea right now. I see that. Yeah. It's, um, what's that Tazo stuff with the passion fruit and, uh, you know, hibiscus and everything? I think that's the Tazo passion fruit hibiscus tea. Oh, yeah, that one. <laughs> it's that. Buzz marketing. Yeah. You well, could buzz market for worse than tea, I guess. Yeah. Like maybe a local heroin dealer who, who's, <laughs> who puts fentanyl in it without telling you. Yeah. I'd like to That'd talk be bad a little bit about <laughs> Jimmy on the corner. <laughs> right. We should probably not talk too much about heroin, though, Chuck, because I'll bet you this episode gets played in a decent amount of, like, middle schools. Yeah. And I'm glad we got in a couple of jokes early on because um, I think ghost fishing will rank alongside like the MS show and the HIV shows as the least funny things to talk about. Yeah, it is pretty sad, actually. And I, I want to actually find ways for humor. And I was like, yep, this is really awful and sad. Well, we'll just take our usual tech where if it if it rears its head, we'll we'll jump on it and yeah. shake it around and hold it up for everybody to see. Yeah, I that's, think that's how we do. It. I think one of the things that was most depressing, depressing, uh, depressing to me was the uh I didn't know about all this. And I'm like, I'm in my mid-40s, and I'm just learning about this. Well, you know how we learned about it. You remember first hearing about this. We got an email from, and I feel like such a heel. We got an email from a class, like a group um, in a class. I want to say it was probably a middle school class who had done a project on ghost fishing. And they said, you know who would want to do an episode on this is Josh and Chuck. So they're the ones who brought this to our attention. I don't remember and that. I cannot find the email. It's gone. So I'm very sorry, group from class that I can no longer identify. But you guys, yeah. if you wrote in to tell us to do an episode about ghost fishing and gave us some sources to start with, you're the only ones who did. So we're talking about you. I think it was Mrs. Bailey's oceanography class at, that's uh, right, at, uh, Sherman Hemsley Middle School in, <laughs> in, uh, Round Rock, Texas. Man, that show Amen was all right. <laughs> I never watched that. Oh, you didn't? It was pretty good. I mean, it was just basically George Jefferson as a preacher. Yeah, which is great. Yeah. Because I love the George, Jeffersons. You could watch him do anything. You know? Sure. George Jefferson as a garbage man. George right. Jefferson as the president. George Jefferson as uh, rescuing sea turtles for ghost fishing. <laughs> is he still with us? I don't know. All right. So um, we sh- this is definitely one of the ones we should not just start talking about without defining it first. Most yes. people don't know what ghost fishing is. Yeah, and sadly, like you said, before we hit record, Jerry uh, always asks us what we're doing today. And you said ghost fishing, which sounds a lot cooler than it is. Yeah. 
uh, when I when you sent it over, I was like, "Ooh, ghost fishing!" Oh, spooky! <laughs> that sounds really neat. Uh, but it's no, there's nothing neat about it. No, no, but it does have a cool name. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, technically, the definition is called abandoned, lost, or discarded fishing gear. Yep. A L D F G. And what this is is professional commercial fishing gear. Uh. And I'm sure there's a, a small amount of recreational fishing gear, but that's not the real issue. Sure. But commercial fishing gear that has been uh, left out to sea that then goes on to just kill and maim sea life. For hundreds of years. Yeah, it's it's awful. Yeah, and it's a real, really big problem. Like, just to give one example, we'll, we'll kind of go around the world a little bit later. But just in the Northeast Atlantic... Um, there, they, they found in one fishery. So if you, if you look at a, a sea, the, uh, an entire sea is going to have like different fisheries, different areas where there are like lots of fish typically. Yes. In just one of those little spots in one sea in the world, they found something like 25,000 nets. Or this is what they estimated. 25,000 nets totaling about 1,250 kilometers in length that were lost Every year, every year. So I want to put that into scale, right? I, I, I did a little Google mapping. Yeah. 1,250 kilometers will get you from New York to Chicago. It Big will get you. Yeah. Yeah. How many Big Macs? <laughs> like a hundred million. All right. Um, it will get you from Brisbane to Canberra. Don't know where that second place is. There's, they're both in Australia. Okay. And then, uh, it will also get you a little under a round trip between London, London and Edinburgh. Wow. Yeah. So it's a, that's a lot of netting and that's just what's lost in that one fishery every year. Yeah. We might as well just throw out a few of these because this is going to be a lot of staggering stats. Mm-hmm. Uh, the UN environmental program, UNEP and the food and agricultural organization of the United Nation, uh, nations. Uh, and this is a conservative estimate. They said that, 640,000 tons of fishing gear are left in the oceans each year. Yeah, I did another, a little bit of more Googling. You ready? Okay. That, that is equal to 556,521 Ford Fiestas just dumped in the ocean <laughs> every year by weight. Pick out Ford Fiestas. <laughs> just to sully uh, their name? I, I don't know. Because, I mean, Ford Fiesta is a, a, a well-selling car all around the world. So everybody yeah. knows what a Ford Fiesta looks like. I probably couldn't pick one I, out on the road, but sure. You could, too. <laughs> you would just know intuitively that that's a Ford Fiesta. Uh, here's another example. Um, Washington State, right here in the United States. Um, they did a little uh, cleanup job there recently. And we'll get to the cleanup efforts because it is happening on a mm-hmm. smallish scale, uh, hopefully increasing. But uh, in this one area, they got uh, they wrangled 870 ghost nets, um, and that contained more than 32,000 marine animals. Yeah, 32,000, and and this is just in one part of Washington State. And and if you say, well, who cares about marine animals? Well, everybody that included 500 birds and mammals. Yeah, and we're talking like like big big. Males like whales. This affects everything from whales on down to little tiny fish. These things are just out there floating around. They get loose, um, one way or another, and they just float through the oceans. 
and they can travel very, very long distances. Yeah. And along the way, animals get trapped in them. I mean, the whole point of commercial fishing gear is to trap animals. The problem is, is when you, when they're operating correctly, they're reeled in and they bring the animals with them and then people eat them. And you can have issues with that or whatever, but at least they're not just completely going to waste, which is the problem with ghost fishing. These things are like floating little islands of death that trap all manner of sea life. Um, and then they just die one way or another, either very quickly, depending on whether they need to breathe, like they're a marine mammal and they can't surface or they're, um, a, a sea turtle that, um, that, that can't feed any longer because it's, it's got a, um, a net growing around its mouth because it stuck its head through a loop when it was a juvenile. Yeah. And said, Oh, what's in there? That looks neat. Let me stick my face in it. And now I have a net and then I grow bigger and the net stays there, uh, and, potentially cuts into my skin and becomes yep. a part of me. It, like little turtle mothers tell their turtle babies this, like, don't put your head through a loop. Oh, yeah. Just like they, the human mothers tell their kids, don't stick your arm out of a school bus. Yeah. Same same thing, I would guess. Uh, here's another stat. The World Animal Protection uh, Group estimates that uh, getting snared in ghost gear kills about 136,000 seal, sea lions, and large whales every year. And, and, you know, some of these animals are already endangered. Uh, so any conservation efforts are being, uh, at the very least, uh, blunted by, or stunted, I guess mm-hmm. both. Yeah. By, you know, these other things going on. It's just, right. it's, it's a staggering problem. This, um, the plastics that they use, I mean, back in the day, they used to, actually not even that long ago, nets were made of things that would biodegrade, like sometimes they were cotton or hemp. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, as we quote advance unquote with synthetics, they have these plastics that these things could be out there for five or 600 years. Yeah. And when they, yeah. if they do break up, then the animals eat that stuff and die. Yeah. Do you Just remember bad. our, our, uh, great Pacific garbage patch episode from years and years ago? Yeah. That factors in for sure. Yeah, well, so a lot of this stuff goes and, and is attracted to that, that those huge gyres out there in the ocean. And we talked about in, in that episode about how plastic photodegrades when it's just out there in the sun. Yeah. The motion of ocean currents combined with the sun photodegrading it, it breaks it down into smaller and smaller bits that become part of the food chain which is not good. You don't want your food chain eating petroleum-based plastics. No. And that's what commercial fishing gear is made out of, which, again, that's why it lasts so long, hundreds of years, um, which is what you want. You want something very durable in your fishing gear, but when it gets loose, it's a big problem. And like you said, it's a fairly recent problem, too, because it wasn't that long ago like that people were using nets that degraded a lot a lot easier. Yeah, I mean, it says, uh, it says in here, I'm not sure where you sourced this, but... 50 or 60 years ago. So in the history of fishing, this, this synthetic uh, netting is pretty new. Right. Um, and this isn't just like, and we're going to talk a lot about animals because that's sort of the, the main problem, but um, it's an issue to the industry too. Like uh, it says right here that uh, here in the U S they've estimated that uh, one single ghost net that's lost Mm-hmm. or discarded or whatever, can kill almost $20,000 worth of Dungeness crab over a 10-year span. Yeah. That's just one net. Right. And then there's like... You could buy you could buy 
seven Ford Fiestas with that <laughs> amount of money. I knew you'd get some comedy in there. <laughs> uh, and then there are, you know, the small vessels, uh, small and even larger vessels that can get tangled in the stuff. There are divers mm-hmm. that can't navigate through this stuff. So there is a bit of a human impact as well. Right. Um, I think we should take a break, though, because I'm getting hot under the collar. Okay. And uh, we'll come back and talk about more of this stuff right after this. All right, Chuck. So we've we've kind of given a good overview, but let's get into just how fishing gear could kill marine animals. And there's there's a number of different ways, and it kind of depends on the animal. Sure. So to start off with, um, we, we mentioned how a sea turtle might be like, oh, what's what's on the other side of this loop? Danger, right? Yeah. Um, young uh, seal pups might be doing the same thing. Ugh. There's a very famous picture of a turtle with a six-pack ring. Yeah, man. Oh, growing, man, I've seen that. And its shell is normal size on either side of the six-pack ring, but then it looks like it's one of those waist trainer yep. um, people who have, have worn a corset for 10 years. It's basically the same thing. That nylon, that's exactly what this commercial fishing gear is made out of. It's made out of plastic nylon or nylon plastic, and um, it it holds fast. And when it, when a turtle gets stuck in it or gets it stuck around them, uh, when they're young, as they grow, it basically, they have to grow around this thing. Yeah. And it's not good. It's not good for your physiology. It's not good for locomotion. You're going to be a, um, a stunted little turtle when you grow up like that. Yeah. They, uh, I think you mentioned obviously marine mammals that need to surface. Um, mm-hmm. they could die within minutes, uh, just because they're simply trapped. Uh, they can be asphyxiated, uh, through like immediately like that or through, you know, over the course of months and years die slow, awful, more awful deaths. Right. Uh, they can prevent them from feeding. Like, like you said, if something gets wrapped around their mouth and they literally just can't open their mouth, they will starve to death. Or locomotion can be affected too, right? So if you are a slow turtle, yeah, you're going to have trouble going after food. Um, and you may starve to death like that as well. Yeah. Or, you know, swim in circles for the rest of your life. Right. Cause like one side of your uh-huh. body is entangled. Right. Um, so you said there's, there, you can kind of break down the, the manner of death into acute or chronic. One of the sad chronic ones that got me was from towing, right? Yeah. So let's say you're a, a, a whale. You're a decent sized mammal. Thank you. you you're swimming, you're swimming <laughs> along. And you get a net stuck on you, like like held fast. You're stuck. Yeah. You could still conceivably swim along for a while, for a very long while. But now you have basically what amounts to an extra appendage, a ghost net dragging from you. That's bad enough as it is because these nets are enormous. Like I was reading about tuna nets. Some tuna fishers use these nets that fall like 700 feet deep and are a mile wide. Yeah. So you get a segment of that, even just a segment of one of those nets on you, it's going to drag you down and make it harder for you to just move normally. But then on top of that, that net is probably going to catch other animals yeah. over time. So not only are you dragging this net, you're also dragging all the animals who have been caught in that same net and um, have probably died. 
And then eventually you're just going to not be able to keep up any longer and you, you, you drown. Yeah. Like I can't imagine a lot of things more, uh, just shameful for, uh, for humans than seeing uh, a blue whale dragging a hundred foot net full of dead sea animals behind it. Yeah. That's, until it dies. That's, that's pretty bad. Like I, I couldn't even have conceived of something that awful until yeah. I'd learned about this stuff. It, it's last word is why? Yeah. Seriously. Humans. Um, I know this is not a, it's not a happy episode. Oh no, man. It's not a, it's, and the other problem is, it's, I think this is one reason a lot of people haven't heard of this too. It's like, God, how many more problems can we have to deal yeah, with? Yeah, I know. It's just add one more to the pile and it makes it really hard not to just get like, like catastrophe fatigued. Yeah. You know, but you just, you can't, you can't, you can't do that. You can't let it happen. You got to go take a break, shake it off and come back at it with, with vigor. Or you need to say this one, this one means something to me. Sure. So much so that I'm actually going to do something about this. I'm not just going to like cluck my tongue and shake my head and keep scrolling through my Twitter feed. I'm going to do something about this. No matter whether it's dealing with ghost fishing or dealing with climate change or whatever strikes you in that way, go after it. Yeah. And that's, that's probably the best thing you can do that rather than trying to take on everything at once. I totally agree, man. And and I also uh, poo-poo the idea that, like, well, you can't say this is bad when you still do this. Yeah. That, no, it can all be bad. Yeah. And, like, you can't – not everyone can tackle everything. So if you want to be a, an advocate for, for dogs on the street, and go do that. Um, like, because the obvious thing would be for people to say, well, don't eat fish. Don't support the industry. Right. And like, how can you eat, how can you be uh, a dog advocate and still eat fish? Right. This is going on. You're worse than Hitler. (laughs) But I I say like, find whatever is meaningful to you and try and affect change there. Right. uh, As best you can. Yep. But, you know. And then you can say, uh, I spent every weekend for the last year cleaning up ghost fishing nets and saving seal pups. What did you do, judgy? Uh, so how does this happen? I, th- I think that's an enough, like we've hit people over the head pretty hard with this stuff. Are you sure? I think, I mean, there'll be some more stats in here, but okay. I think they get the point. All right. Um, how does this stuff happen? Uh, and I'm, and I'm asking us both and I'll go ahead and say one thing. Okay. Is sometimes it's accidental. Sometimes there's bad weather. <laughs> um, and you, you have to abandon your gear. Yeah. There was a, a 2009, um, United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization report that found that most ghost fishing gear is not intentionally discarded, that most of it is accidentally lost, right? Which is good. That that makes you feel a little better. Right. And it's not just fishermen going like, who cares? Cut it loose. Yeah. See you in hell, see. But that, that also does happen. It does, sadly. It's nice to know that that's not the bulk of it, right? Right. So... The, when it's unintentional, when it's accidental or, or something like that, an act of nature, a lot of times it's just um, severe weather, like a big storm comes up and just breaks your lines and all of a sudden all of your nets are lost. And yeah. believe me, if you're a commercial fisherman, that is about the worst thing that can happen to you short of sinking while you're out. 
you know? Sure. Especially if your net was already full and you're reeling it in and you lost it because of nature. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's bad for everybody. Uh, another thing that can happen is, uh, and this is the, one of the bad ones, mm-hmm. you could be, have illegal gear or be fishing illegally, maybe using a method you shouldn't or in a place you shouldn't be. Right. And you, uh, there's what's called enforcement pressure and you abandon your gear because you don't want to get in trouble. Yeah. You hightail it, it out of there basically. And just kind of whistle. Like I wasn't doing anything. <laughs> um, there's also, uh, what they call spatial pressure where, if you have some nets floating along and a, a, another boat comes into the area, doesn't see it and runs over them, basically cuts them loose from their moorings, then that has just become ghost fishing gear itself. Yeah, the economic pressure, I don't fully get this. What I would imagine that could mean is, you know, it would cost us more to go out and retrieve these things yes. than to just go back to, to port and get these guys off the clock. That's part of it. That is definitely part of it. I, I think like if you're, I think more often than not is if your gear is all torn up or whatever, and oh, right. if you take it back to port uh, and you're charged a fee for dumping it uh-huh. because it's considered waste. Right. Like I think that's, that's how it's treated in the Netherlands. It makes more sense for you to just litter. Right. If you're going to have to pay to have it disposed of properly, well, the sea can take it. I'll just cut it loose and look the other way and go back home and say, what fishing gear? I don't have anything to throw away. So that's economic pressure. And to me, we'll talk about later, that is the key to solving ghost fishing, if you ask me. Yeah. Um, and, and real quickly, like uh, I don't think we said for sure, it's not always just nets, um, like crab pots and traps, uh, mm-hmm. nets for sure. Yeah. Uh, fishing line, hooks, rope. And the one that really chafes me is uh, packing bands. So these, yeah. these bands around bait boxes and stuff, those are clearly just dumped. Oh, yeah. They right? just tossed it over the side. Yeah. And that's actually in violation of a United Nations um, convention from 1973 that basically was looking to stop pollution from ships. And um, you're not supposed to throw anything over the side from those packing bands to cooking oil that you right. you fried your french fries in like nothing is supposed to go over the side except possibly fish entrails from cleaning fish it's called the don't be a huge jerk convention yeah of 1973 <laughs> that was a heck of a convention uh so some of the indirect it was wasn't it <laughs> it was basically like a max funcon convention i remember that and uh fred rogers that was the keynote speaker mhm it was pretty great yeah. Uh, some of the indirect causes, and, and we'll see here in a bit, uh, one of the biggest, biggest problems is, uh, like you said, when you come back in with maybe unwanted fishing gear and there's nowhere to dispose of it, um, just simply a lack of these facilities at port uh, is a big, big problem. Yeah. And that could, is that what you said could fix it all? No, putting it, making, changing it from being an economic burden oh, to an sure. economic incentive right, right. to bring in your old fishing gear, I think that'll change it. But that's what you just said is a huge part of that. Yeah. You need to have places for people to either take it and get money in exchange for their old stuff uh-huh. or at the very least to just throw it in a bin somewhere. Yeah, not like, get charged for it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because, you, you know, if you if you know that you can just throw it away right when you get to shore – 
It's only going to take up that space on your way back in. Um, there's a pretty good chance that you're not going to litter a mile wide net, you know? Yeah. Especially, and especially if you can get money for it. Yeah. And another one of the big problems here, uh, in this one article you sent was it's, I think, you know, these, these commercial fishermen are, I, I used to watch Deadliest Catch. I know how these guys are. Uh, they're notoriously stubborn, uh, about new, uh, Technologies, or ironically, it wouldn't be a new technology if they tried to go back to biodegradable nets. Right. But just convincing these uh, these men and women to add extra expense or add an extra trip to buy something that will help the the environment, it's a hard sell. Even though, like, dudes, you're costing yourself crab money because, <laughs> like, twenty grand one lost net can cost twenty thousand dollars worth of crab over ten years. I think they live more in the trip-to-trip mindset. Yeah, but I think that their industry as a whole thinks of it as like the over-10-year kind of thing. And so from what I understand, the industry's kind of woken up to this a little more and is starting to take measures a little bit. And we'll talk about that. But, um, yeah, it's it's entirely possible that individual fishermen are just kind of like, it's just not worth it. Yeah, this one quote in here really kind of drives it home, and I'd never heard of the phrase tragedy of the commons, um, but I like it. It says, as as with so many tragedy of the commons scenarios, the responsibility to act lies with everyone and the incentive with no one. And that kind of drives it home. There's no, like, you know, a lot of times they're in international waters. Right. Uh, they're, I know when they have made inroads with some of these big commercial companies, they're a little hesitant to get too involved because all of a sudden they're – name is printed in an article, even if they're trying to do the right thing, just being associated with this stuff they don't even want. Right. You know, even if they're trying to help out a little bit. Yeah, because, again, it's just one more problem, one more issue, you know. Yeah, like if a company stood up and said, so-and-so company is is making an effort to uh, now do this, then the flip side is like, well, what have you been doing? <laughs> that's true. And why did it take this long? Yeah, that's definitely true. And so companies are a little reticent to even... Get involved, you know? Yeah, but I think um, as of 2015, there is a, a kind of a new initiative that started that's that's bringing more people into the fold and making it safe to join up. I remember there was a, uh, man, there was a McDonald's something. I can't remember. The McDLT. No. McPizza. It, it was some new sandwich or something that said it's like now made with like, Real chicken or something like that. And <laughs> yeah. that was like, you put that on a sign? <laughs> right. Because like, everyone that saw that was like, what was I eating <laughs> for the past 30 years? Now with ingredients that may not kill you. <laughs> um, well, let's take another break and okay. then we'll come back. We'll we'll take a quick trip around the world and then we'll talk about what some people are doing to, to combat ghost fishing. Yeah, a little bit of good news. All right, Chuck, we're back and we're in the home stretch. We're going to solve this problem. But first, let's go uh, shame different parts of the world. Yes, let's, uh, how about we step on to my little dinghy and, um, Wait, what? take a trip around the world. 
Oh, okay. It'll take us a while because my little dinghy is slow. <laughs> but we'll get there eventually. Let's head to the Northeast Atlantic. Yeah, where we already talked about the 25,000 nets that are tossed in there every year. All right. We've already been there, and so I just wasted our three months getting there. <laughs> no. Apologies. All right. So we're stuck in the Northeast Atlantic. I apologize. It's now going to take us six months to navigate uh, through uh, the Midwest of the United States, through Nebraska and Kansas in our boat. Maybe we should, we're portaging. <laughs> uh, that's a long portage. All the way to the Northeast Pacific. Yeah, in Washington State. Well, that would be Northwest. Well, Northeast Pacific Ocean, I guess. Northwest U.S. Yes, sorry about but, that. Yeah, Northeast Pacific. So Washington State has, uh, oh, man, we already talked about this, too. Remember, out of 870 gill nets, they rescued or they found 32,000. Man, we, we already made it here. I hate backtracking. All right. Let's, <laughs> come on, let's carry it back. Um. All right, let's go to the Northwest Atlantic. All right. And we, we surely we haven't been there. I don't believe we have. The Gulf of St. Lawrence, for God's sake. No, we haven't. Okay. Snow crab. This is one snow crab fishery. Um, they lose about 800 traps a year mm-hmm. in this one fishery. And uh, some say that each fisher, like each boat, may lose up to 30% in a year of their right. traps. And this is an old, like, this isn't an old fish tale. That's the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's Chesapeake Bay office saying that. An old fish tale? Yeah. <laughs> this isn't Finding Dory. <laughs> I never saw that one, but I did like, um, what was it? Nemo? Finding Nemo, Nemo the... I think, right? Oh, okay. I haven't seen either one of them. Oh, you haven't seen Finding Nemo? No. I, I uh, well, save it, save it. Well, Emily doesn't like any of those movies. Um, oh, yeah. Ever. So I kinda, they make her cry. Yeah, because every one of them has some sort of sad death. Like she got uh, after Bambi when she was a kid. She's like, I'm uh, done. Yeah, this one. This one has that, too. Yeah, most of them do. And I but said, that's a, a really significant reason. It's a good movie. Well, that's why I, I mean, that's the theory is that that's why they do that is to kind of teach kids about death. Sure. Because, I mean, it's so sanitized and like kept out of sight in our society. That's a good service. All right. Finding Nemo's on the list then. Where yeah, should, you'll like it. You won't regret seeing it. Where should we go next? Uh, Southwest, Southeast Asia? Um, well, the Arabian Sea. Let's make a little stop over there. Oh, they wow. actually, uh, they're all woke over there. They figured out that their people were losing, back in 2002, about 260,000 traps per year. Wow. Yeah, which is a problem, not just for, like, say, the lobster or crab or shrimp that they're intended for. They, um, they, there's a lot of bycatch that say like a, a lobster trap can, yeah. can catch as well. Like fish can make their way in there too. So you've got 260,000 traps just floating around, no longer providing any seafood for anybody. They're just death traps, literal death traps. That's a problem. And so the, um, United Arab, uh, Emirates, um, ruled that you had to put a biodegradable, like face or panel. Uh-huh. On the traps from, from that point on, from 2002 on. Oh, so eventually they were just open? Yeah. Eventually that one, that one fish that came in last would right. be freed while the other ones were like, I wish I was an elephant. Uh, in the Caribbean and Gulf of Mexico, this is pretty staggering. Around, uh, Guadalupe, uh, they lose about half of their traps every year during hurricane season. Yeah. 
which is about 20,000 traps. Yeah. Half, man. That's crazy. And then in uh, Louisiana alone, they think that they lose 4 to 10 million blue crabs lost to their traps just in Louisiana. Wow. 4 to 10 million blue crabs lost. All right. So this has all been super depressing. Um, what can be done about it? Uh, people are, are trying to take action. There was an, uh, an initiative in 2015 in London, uh, founded by the World Animal Protection. It's an NGO, uh, and the Global Ghost Gear Initiative. It's a pretty cool name. Yeah, it is. Uh, and here's the deal. Like, sadly, when you're first getting efforts like this going, a lot of the stuff that they're doing is like simply gathering data because it's hard to get support because people say, well, what's the data? What's it looking like? And if you say, well, we don't really have great data yet, then they're kind of grounded. Oh, so, oh you don't got good data. <laughs> yeah. So the very first steps um, is evidence building and sure. reviewing policies and kind of not rubber meets the road kind of things. But unfortunately, those have to be the first steps. Right. But they're they're starting to gather data from some of the rubber meets the road stuff. Yeah. Um, so, like, if we can go back over to the Pacific Northwest, right? Yeah. To the Northeast Atlantic. Um, I think there's like a, a little pilot program in Washington state, uh, to like clean up ghost fishing stuff. And, and from, I think 2010, um, or no, 2007, they were, they recovered 481 lost gill nets, right? Yeah. So this kind of stuff where you've got people, I think they, they, they had like a few million dollars from the government and just started a, a program. Um, when you've got people doing these things and then you have a central organization like the global ghost gear initiative, then the gears start moving. The, the wheels start moving, like things start happening because then yeah. you start to generate the data and then you can start to make the press releases. Then you can start to like get the, uh, the public aware of this kind of thing. And then you get pressure on industry, and then industry shapes up. Yeah, here's one of my favorite things, too. And this is not just for this industry and this problem, but one of my favorite, favorite things in the world is when someone comes along and says, hey, I'll take that waste product you have because I can mm -hmm. use it. That's what I'm saying is going to be the key. Yeah, for sure. And this is already happening a little bit uh, because, like a lot of things, you can generate power through some of this stuff. So that's one way uh, that... I think there's a company called Networks. Mm -hmm. It's a, like a org. Oh, an org. Uh huh. Yeah. It's like a, there's a, a few companies that came together to to make networks. I think. Well, in their case, I don't think they're turning it into energy, but they're turning uh, fishing nets into carpet tiles. Carpet tiles. Boom. Great. Right. There is a one called Fishing for Energy that's like Noah Covanta, Covanta Energy. Oh, right. And then of course Schnitzer Steel. Yeah. The face of Ghost Gear. <laughs> they um <laughs> they all came together and started putting um gear recycling outposts in I think eleven states all over the place, all over the coasts of eleven states, so that when fishermen come in, whether you're just a, a little solo person and you've got some monofilament line left over uh -huh. or you're a commercial guy. You can just throw your old gear in here and it gets recycled, right? And then they take it and I think Schnitzer Steel um, takes it and, and gets strips all the metal from it for recycling. And then what's left goes to Covanta Energy and they turn it into 
energy. I looked high and low to exactly how they do that, and I couldn't find it. So it makes me a little nervous about what they're doing to turn this into energy. But they supposedly have created enough energy from the stuff that they've um, that's been recycled to power like 2,200 homes for a month. That's amazing. Yeah. You and like- I mean, this is this is stuff that otherwise would have just gone out, stayed out in the sea and drowned whales yeah. and, and turtles. You like skateboarding? Sure. There's a, a sustainable skateboard retailer named uh, B-U-R-E-O, Burio, and they are turning uh, fishing nets into skateboards. Yep. Like, how cool is that? Yeah, it is pretty cool. Because they're actually buying fishing net from fishermen, yeah. like they the used stuff. So they're giving money for it, and then they're turning around and using it to recycle. It's pretty cool. And then there's there's a lot of stuff you could do if you if you don't have a skateboard company or you're not an energy company. Um, there's a group called Ghost Fishing, and they um, I think that's what they're called, right? Ghost Fishing. I'm not it's sure just, which one is this. It's just ghost. I think it's just ghost fishing. Anyway, um, they, yeah, they're, they're a group of divers. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. they were wreck divers in the North Sea. I think they were originally based maybe in the Netherlands. Um, and they noticed on these wrecks that like there was tons of like ghost gear. Apparently it's a big problem with shipwrecks. So that's why it's kind of dangerous for humans. And then also gets caught up on coral and stuff too. So they started cleaning up. They took it upon themselves to start cleaning up some of these wrecks. And then little by little, this little group of like friends that were, you know, wreck divers that started cleaning it up, started making connections with other groups of divers all yeah. around the world. And now all of a sudden the glo- uh, ghost fishing, I think ghost fishing alliance or initiative is, um, this, this multinational network of people who love scuba diving and who spend some of their scuba diving time cleaning up ghost nets and there's actually pictures of these people like freeing seal pups from yeah. ghost fishing nets you know yeah uh, it's pretty cool and uh, like if you're into scuba diving there's something you can do right there yeah imagine there are not many better sleeps at night you can get than having spent your day freeing <laughs> seal pups yeah i don't think you so. probably sleep pretty well i would guess too uh in australia we can't leave you out uh there are a couple of cool things going on there um there's a program uh, called uh, or a group called Ghost Nets Australia, and they've been partnering with indigenous uh, groups uh, to basically help cleaning up, you know, this stuff in individual areas. Right. Uh, and then there's a, another fishery like we kind of have been picking on the fisheries and some of these companies, but um, some are getting on board. There's one in Australia uh, called the Northern Prawn Fishery. So definitely give them your support if you live there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're working with the World Animal Protection Group. to uh, They report sightings. They report ghost gear locations, basically like here's where it is at least. And sometimes they're even involved in retrieving some of this stuff and setting some of these animals free when they come across it. Yeah, I think that's like that's part of it. You know, there's there's you got to have the, the government involved to set up, you know, recycling stations or whatever to fund pilot programs to get the data going. But And then with industry, you have to educate industry. You have to give them financial incentives to keep their nets, bringing, to bring them back ashore. Yeah. And then because they're also the ones who are out there in the sea to, to, to make it so that it's a, it's, it's, they have incentive to stop and, and take in ghost gear when they see it. 
Yeah. And part of that is like what just happened for North Prawn Fishery. They just got free advertisement for being the good guys because they got involved. Yeah. Absolutely. So good. I think we just solved the problem. <laughs> I don't think so. I'll give you another shout out too. There's a brewery from Delray, Florida, Delray Beach, Florida called Saltwater Brewery. And they made some news recently because they debuted a six pack ring that is made, um, to biodegrade and it's also edible. So rather than growing around a turtle or uh, keeping a turtle from growing correctly, a turtle can actually eat the six pack ring when it encounters it if it makes it into the, to the water. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, a lot of the craft breweries don't even use the rings anymore. They have the recycled, uh, plastic kind of lid things, you know? Yep. Good job. You had me at brewery. <laughs> uh, if you want to know more about ghost fishing or ghost gear, you can type those words into your favorite search bar, uh, and it will bring up some pretty good stuff. And since I said stuff, it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this one uh, T-shirt ideas. I'm going to email from a dude that has kind of kept up with our T-shirt names. Mm-hmm. Sure. And he wants us to pick... Uh, all three of us to each pick our favorite. Okay. That would be Jerry. So Jerry, you just knock like a horse on the ground <laughs> when I get to a t-shirt you like. Hey guys, love your show and your tangents are hilarious, but what really cracks me up are all the funny band names and t-shirt ideas you come up with. I collected a few of my favorites over the years and the time has come for me to turn a few of these t-shirt dreams into realities. I'm going to design and print a few t-shirts, but my problem is I can't decide which phrases to use. So if you could each pick one, it would really make my day. And there are 12. So, starting with number one, trusses rock! Exclamation point. That's uh, not bad. Friends don't let friends ear candle. That's actually, Emily has that shirt, so that's a thing. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I think someone might have sent us, send that in, actually. Okay. Yeah, because that's happened from time to time. Like, we got um, Mike's on pants off t-shirts yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number three, if you have a beacon, a probe, and a shovel, you could be okay. I don't even know what that one's from. <laughs> well, he tied them to the episodes, but um, for brevity, I'm just going to read these. Okay. Uh, mystery is weird. I like that one. Not too bad. Uh, to each their own. Eh. Seems a little snotty these days to have that like on a shirt. <laughs> it's you know? aggressive and hostile. Like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, master of enjambment. That may be mine. Is it? I think so. So far, mine is Mystery is Weird. Uh, I listened to the Tick episode. I do remember that. That's for everybody. Uh, This one's pretty good. Find your own butter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jerry just knocked on the floor. Okay, there's Jerry's. I Viking. Boy, that's an old one. Yeah. Uh, Natural Selection, colon, it just makes sense. Yeah, that's a good one. A little preachy. Um, Don't scrutinize me. Aggressive. <laughs> and finally, let's wash our hands as often as possible. <laughs> is Mine is mine's definitely mystery is weird. Okay, I'm going to go with Master of Enjambment, and Jerry uh, definitely likes find your own butter. Okay. In fact, I think Jerry said that to me in this office. Who was that uh, that uh, wrote that in? That is from Steve Rickert in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Steve. And he said, if you send me your shirt sizes, uh, I'll be sure to make an extra of each. So I'm an XL. Mm-hmm. You're probably a what, large? Yeah, man, I'm right on the border between like large 
being a little drapey and medium, like really showing <laughs> off way too much. Right, TMI. So is Pick there something in between medium and large? <laughs> I guess large. Jerry, what are you? Jerry's a medium. Did she stamp that out? She did. Medium unisex, she said. <laughs> uh, and then finally, he closes with PPS. Uh, in a place and time where people with big platforms often use their voices to create division, so refreshing to listen to your show. I admire the respect you show to all people and the effort you put into being inclusive and empathetic. Yes. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, thanks a lot, Steve. But hey, find your own butter. <laughs> all right. Everyone turn on Steve. <laughs> Uh, if you want to be like Steve and just come up with a great email, well, you can start by tweeting to us if you don't like the email. I'm at Josh underscore um underscore Clark. Uh, we're also at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at Charles W. Chuck Bryant or slash Stuff You Should Know. Either one of those two. Uh, you can send us all an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. <laughs>